Hi, I'm Ed Connell, and this is Coming Out the Pod, the podcast where I ask members of the LGBTQ community to share with me their coming out stories. In this preview episode, I tell my coming out story with contributions from my sister and mum and dad. I also talk to my brother about his recollections and how his being in the Navy may have contributed to my reticence in telling him. And I hope by hearing this podcast, you'll understand why I was motivated to start it. Please be aware that this podcast contains some bad language and themes of an adult nature. When I came up with the idea of this podcast about four or five years ago, it was never my intention to tell my own coming out story. I realised that parts of my story would emerge through my interviews with other people. But I felt that telling my own story was a little bit self-indulgent. But I realised whilst talking to friends about my reasons for this podcast, it's difficult for me to really explain the motivation for the podcast without me telling my own story. I think I've always known that I was gay, although perhaps didn't recognise it as such at the time. I remember as an adolescent looking at men on the TV or other people at school or other people I came across through sport and admiring them, admiring them for different reasons, Um, perhaps because of the way they looked or the clothes they wore or how popular they were or how good they were at sport. And I think looking back now that there was undoubtedly an element of that, but there was also an element of physical attraction. It was also complicated by the fact that I had delayed onset puberty. So I was very envious of the way other people looked as I went through teenage years. And it was a difficult period for me. And I went through uh, some bullying as a consequence of the fact that I looked much younger than my peers. Uh, And again, I would convince myself when I looked admiringly perhaps at other people that it was just a question of jealousy that I was wanting to look like them, not because I was gay, uh, but because they were looking the way they should do for their age and I was still looking like a fairly young child. Growing up in the 70s and 80s as I did, uh, I was born in 1972, it wasn't a great time to be gay. Um, There was really nothing positive about being gay that you could see around you. Uh, There were obviously gay people on the television, but they were ridiculed to a certain degree because they were ultra camp, people like Danny LaRue or, or people like that. And it was something that was a subject of ridicule. And I could never imagine ever wanting to be viewed by other people in the same way as they were viewed by society at large. Uh, I grew up in suburban, middle-class, Catholic Surrey. Uh, We didn't know any gay people. I realise now, looking back, that there was an extended member of the family who was gay, but always just described as being a little bit different, and we didn't see very much of him. And there was nothing positive about being gay on television, no dramas like Queer as Folk or anything like that. It was all negative. Um, And that was really reinforced by 
the 1980s portrayal of gay people and the association of being gay with um, HIV and AIDS. And so if you were growing up in the 70s and 80s, you desperately didn't want to be gay. And uh, you would pick up newspapers and there would be fairly unpleasant stories of people being ridiculed for being gay or lesbian. Church made things difficult as well. Uh, we were a Catholic family and I was very much involved in the Catholic Church. Uh, and that only further reinforced the fact that being gay was something which simply wasn't acceptable. And although I went to an all-boys school, it was a Catholic school. No one was openly gay. Those people that showed any signs of being what might be considered remotely gay, camp or effeminate, were again bullied. And on one occasion, I remember some uh, boys from the school being beaten up outside of school simply because they gave the impression they perhaps might not be the same as everybody else. By the time of university, I guess I had begun to accept, although not fully accept, that I, I was gay. Uh, I desperately didn't want to be gay. Um, I knew that that would be difficult. I knew that it would be difficult to maintain my involvement in the church and be gay. I knew it would be difficult to have to tell my family and friends. And I did desperately want to have the life that I'd been brought up to aspire to, getting married to a woman, having kids and living happily ever after. And it sounds silly, um, but I used to pray that I would be straight and that I would stop having these sort of gay thoughts. And I remember regular New Year's Eves when I would think to myself about my New Year's resolutions and one of my resolutions would be that I'm going to find a girlfriend that I'm physically attracted to, that I can fall in love with, and this whole gay thing would simply go away. And I know that sounds naive now with the benefit of hindsight, but that's just the way I felt at the time. I remember spending a year in France as part of my degree course and I was living away from home, uh, not likely to bump into anybody if I went to a gay bar or a club. And in fact, the very tiny step I took was to go to a gay bookshop. But bizarrely, uh, when I was in the bookshop, uh, a colleague from where I was working at the time came in, albeit that he didn't see me. And that stunned me into absolute paranoia that it might get out that people had seen me in this gay bookshop and... I might be gay and might just get out. And that probably set me back uh, some time. And I spent my 20s trying very hard to keep up a facade of being straight. I, I would kiss women. I would go on dates with women. Uh, and I was spinning a lot of straight plates with a lot of different groups trying to keep up this impression to my various groups of friends from home, from school, from university, that I was straight and dating uh, women. Uh, and that was difficult. And it was challenging, particularly mentally challenging, because, of course, I knew that these relationships could never go anywhere uh, because it would be wrong to lead people in a, into a relationship which I obviously wasn't interested in. Uh, 
but I I think just probably just demonstrates how desperate I was not to be gay. Um, I knew, for example, that as soon as I came out, it would stop my involvement in the church, and I was involved in things like the youth group and um, confirmation classes and, and other things like that. And there was that stigma attached to gay people, certainly back in the 80s, that you know gay people were paedophiles. So I knew that by coming out, that would have to end my association uh, with the church. And I also was mindful of the fact that if I came out, not something can keep quiet, that would impact upon my wider family. My parents, for example, would, would have to deal with it as well. And um, that, I think, put me off as well. And of course, I don't attribute any blame to my parents at all. But that simply was uh, a factor. And that, for me, was how I spent my 20s. Um, I suppose uh, three things triggered me finally coming to terms and accepting my sexuality. Uh, I think the first was that I was, I think, deeply unhappy. Uh, I think my sister would probably say that she realised that I was deeply unhappy. Uh, I think I was probably drinking more than I should have been drinking. Uh, And I just wasn't in a good place mentally and I think because she was living me at the time she recognized that I wasn't a happy person or certainly the happy person that I'd been before I think secondly I had begun to realize that I wanted to have a relationship I wanted to do what all my friends were doing you know falling in love getting married and having kids and until I acknowledge my sexuality that simply wasn't going to happen I think the third thing that triggered it um, was the fact that I remember one evening being driven home by a colleague who was gay who was um, about 20 years old than me living married with his partner and uh, I was um, straight no one suspected at work that I was um, gay and I asked one evening out of curiosity as he gave me a lift home about you know being gay and and what struck a chord with me was he said that his biggest regret in life was that he hadn't come out till he was, in fact, about 40, I think he said. And uh, he said that all that missed opportunity he'd had where he could have been enjoying life, um, he had sort of deprived himself of that. So it kind of made me think that I really had to do something uh, about it. I think the first person that I told uh, was my sister. Um, I don't really remember much about that evening, uh, probably because um, I probably drank too much. And in fact, that was a characteristic of a lot of my coming out to various people, having a bit of Dutch courage to to tell them. Um, And my sister was everything that you would expect someone to be in an ideal world. She was totally understanding, loving, accepting, uh, made it clear that it didn't make a jot of difference. She was incredibly supportive. And I, deep down, knew that she'd be like that. You know, that she's that sort of person. She'd gone to university and started performing art. She had gay friends. It wasn't something that was new to her. And um, so that was the starting point. But 
of course, coming out doesn't just happen once. It happens hundreds of times. I wanted my family to know, first of all, I um, didn't want friends to find out. Then, Because once start, friends start talking about it, it becomes impossible to contain it. And I was paranoid that, you know, a friend would mention it to one of their parents who would get back to my mum and dad. And I thought they'd be pretty devastated if they learned about the fact I was gay from other people. And so I wanted to tell my parents next. And I set about um, engaging the help of my sister. Um, my, my parents had no suspicions at all that I was or might be gay. Um, they thought that I was just sort of dating and waiting for the right person to come along. And my sister very kindly um, set about over the period of about a year, trying to sow the seed of doubt into my parents' minds that I might be gay, not telling them that I was gay, because ultimately that was for me to do. But whenever the topic came up, Angela would sow the seeds and say things like, well, you know, have you ever considered that Edward might not be straight because he um, hasn't ever had any long-term relationships? Um, we've never met any girlfriends. And my parents were having none of it. And um, eventually my sister said to me that she wasn't prepared to keep that up any longer because my parents were saying to her, well, your brother would be livid if he knew you were saying these things about him behind his back, which, of course, she wasn't saying them behind my back at all. She was saying them with my consent and encouragement. And so ultimately um, she said, look, enough's enough. I can't do this anymore. I've sowed the seeds. Um, you need to tell them. And so I told them on the weekend of one of their wedding anniversaries, um, they had invited my sister and I to join them, in fact, for their wedding anniversary celebrations in Paris. Um, that might sound a bit odd to some people, but our family are particularly close and that sort of thing's not uncommon. And so we went to Paris and on the Saturday morning, we were sat having breakfast in the um, hotel restaurant. And... A uh, topic of conversation uh, came up about someone that we all knew. Uh, and my mum said something on the lines of, well, he's obviously gay. And without really thinking about it, I said, no, he's not gay. Of course he's not gay. My mum said, well, how would you know? And my sister sort of looked at me as though to say, I've done all this work. It's all teed up for you now. If there was ever a time to tell them, this is it. And so I swallowed hard and said, uh, do you really want to know um, why I know he's not gay? And my mum said, yes. And I said, because I'm gay. And there was a, a short silence um, I remember my dad saying something along the lines of, well, you'll never be able to have kids, which wasn't an uncommon thought for people that have grown up in that era. And my sister immediately um, put that straight and said, Dad, don't be so old-fashioned. You know, people can have kids these days. Gay people can have kids. They have kids by themselves, but they're partners. That's no longer a problem. 
And with that slight reservation dealt with, they both hugged me, uh, told me how much they loved me. And um, well, that was it. So here's my sister's recollections of the events leading up to my coming out and my actual coming out to her, as well as my parents' recollection of that weekend in Paris. So Angela, you moved in with me after you finished university, is that right? Yeah, I think that's about right. I think I moved when I was about 22. Um, So I would have been 28 because I'm six years older than you. And when you moved in... Had you ever had any suspicions before then that uh, I was gay? I don't think so, no. I, um, I guess in hindsight, if you're asking me now, you were always very interested in my university course. And um, at the time, I was like, I just thought that was this interesting university. But I did a performing arts degree and a large, I would say virtually all the men on my course were gay. And you would often ask what the parties were like and, um, you know, what the people were like. And I guess if I'm looking back, um, there might have been times where I wondered. But in truth, not really. I didn't give it any serious thought, no. So when do you think it was that, you know, you did start to think that was a possibility? I think mm, it was after I'd been living with you for a little while. And I remember, well, you didn't often go out on dates. um, And at the time, I sort of think I was saying to you, you know, is there anyone, have you met anyone you like? Is there anyone that you're interested in? They never really seem to be. But I think the the sort of where I really kind of a flag went up for me was um, you brought a woman back to the flat. I couldn't tell you what her name is now, but she was so keen on you and really, clearly, really liked you. And you couldn't get her out of the flat fast enough at the end of the evening. And it, at the time, you were just like, oh, she's not my type. But I did think then there doesn't seem to be anyone that's your type or any woman that's your type. And I guess that alarm bells, maybe I was thinking then, why don't you date anyone? Why are you not kind of openly dating people? Why are you not interested in these women who who were really lovely and attractive and obviously really liked you? And I couldn't figure out why you didn't like them back. I don't remember, save for obviously the, the night when I did come out to you, I don't remember any conversations. I don't know whether you um, remember differently, but I don't remember any conversations when you kind of tried to push that topic or that agenda. But, I mean, do, do, is that how you remember things or not? Yeah, no, I don't think I did. I mean, I think even, and in, in truth, I didn't, it wasn't like I thought, oh my God, Edward is definitely gay. I have to, you know, I have to get him to tell me because I wasn't sure at all. Um, And it was just an inkling. Um, And I felt, I don't know if I regret this now, but I felt strongly at the time that it should be something that you addressed in your own terms, in your own um, time and in your own way. And I didn't want to feel like I was pressurising you in any way. And I also felt like we had the relationship that at least I hoped at the time that we had the relationship where you would feel comfortable enough to tell me when you were ready to tell me. I look back now on that period in the build up to when I did tell you 
Um, and I don't think I was a particularly happy person. Uh, I think that, you know, things have sort of come to a bit of a head with me and I kind of knew that I had to sort things out. And I kind of look back on that period and think I was probably going out a bit too much. I was not, I say drinking too much, I mean, not ridiculous amounts, but um, I, I don't know. Did you, did you ever think that I was sort of not myself or? Yeah, I think, I think for the most part, you hid it very well, if I'm honest. I think to the, certainly to the bulk of our family, you did a very good job of disguising what was going on behind closed doors. I think I probably certainly, there were occasions where I felt that you seemed a bit low, a bit, um, yeah, like you say, very much kind of burying your head in, kind of going out, socialising, you know, a lot of partying. At the time, I didn't really think, oh, wow, something big is going on. But I guess if I think about it, yeah, you were not yourself. You weren't, you weren't kind of, you were so much happier when you came out. Let's put it that way. You were so much lighter and more, um, you know, open and just kind of yourself. And I certainly think that in the, in the run up to it, yeah, you were, you weren't, you weren't the person that I know. You were, you were kind of doing a very good job of hiding it, but you weren't a hundred percent you. What, what do you remember of the night I did come out to you? Because um, I think I've said before that, I mean, I probably had been drinking that night and I think I, I, I had drunk, I drank quite often when I was going to tell people that I was coming out, but yeah. What, if anything, do you remember that evening? I think I remember, because it's all quite hazy. It feels like a very long time ago now. Um, but I think I remember that we had both come back from work and it, it was your idea that we went for sort of an impromptu dinner. I remember thinking at the time that for a midweek meal, you were quite caning it. <laughs> you were quite having quite a few drinks and I'm pretty sure that you did we have tequila I don't remember but I just remember I do remember feeling when I look back that there was something that you wanted to get off your chest and you were kind of gearing yourself up to do it and we had a meal and I think at the time it seemed to me that it was this big thing that you were going to tell me and then you told me and I was like oh, okay. And I wasn't enormously surprised. And, and then I, from my memory is that we had a really good night that we kind of finished our dinner, that we went back up to the flat. And I vivid, the one thing I do vividly remember is I was sitting in your kitchen, our kitchen at the time, um, sitting on the kind of countertops, work countertops, and me asking you loads of questions. All of a sudden I wanted to, everything kind of clicked into place for me and everything because although I felt like I had some kind of inkling, like I say, I wasn't sure at all. And when you told me that night, it was like the clouds had kind of parted. And I was like, ah, okay, so much of this makes sense. So much of my time living with you made sense. And, and so much of your history and your dating history, everything fell into place. And, and I remember us just talking for ages about, you know, um, when you first realized and, and one of my funny memories from that night is that you telling me that a recent boyfriend of mine that had actually not that long earlier, I think, dumped me and I was devastated about, I remember you telling me that you'd quite found him quite attractive. And um, that was quite a kind of funny moment because it was like, oh, okay, this all makes sense now. 
And I know that um, I tasked you with trying to sow the seeds of doubt in mum and dad's mind because obviously they were the people I wanted to tell next. And I've, I've asked mum and dad for, for their um, perspective on that and mum's told her side of things. But, you know, what, what's your... Uh, recollection of your dealings with mum over that I think it was a period of about a year but I don't know what you think it was I don't know how long yeah it probably maybe not quite as long as a year but certainly a good six months plus um yeah you want you asked me you were obviously really anxious about telling them and you were I I felt that there was that their reaction was gonna be absolutely fine and that you know they they would be surprised yes because I thought, you know, even I had been surprised, but I certainly thought they would be. But I didn't think on any level that they would be anything other than supportive. But I know you were really concerned because mum and dad, you know, they're quite kind of devout Catholics, go to church every Sunday, and um, I think just have no clue. And I know you were really worried about their reaction and asked me to kind of um, sort of, yeah, just kind of, Tell mum, I think our I think our agreement was to tell mum that you th- that I had to sort of tell mum that I thought you might be gay, and kind of yeah, sow the seed. And I remember having the first conversation with her about that in the car. Weirdly, I was driving somewhere on the motorway, and we were chatting, and I just kind of dropped it into conversation in the car. And mum was really cross. Um, she was adamant that you weren't and that was really cross with me hilariously that I um was kind of did I know that you were saying these things about you and and it was not appropriate to be spreading rumors about you behind your back and and without me kind of saying to mum mum look he is and he's asked me to have this conversation with you I just kind of had to sit there and take it and be like I I don't think I am spreading rumours. I I do think he might be. But mum was very cross with me that, you know, if you were, that you would have told her and that I shouldn't be saying these sort of things behind your back. That was my first conversation with her. Do do you both remember when I came out to you in Paris? Yes, we do. Very clearly. Um, I know that Angela had been in the preceding year sort of sowing the seeds of doubt in your mind that I might be gay. Um, yes. Prior to that, had you thought that I might be gay before Angela started doing that? No. I'll no. be honest with you, Edward, no. In fact, emphatically, no. And I know that Angela was having conversations with you and sort of at least making a possible issue in your minds. What, yeah, she, she tried that several times, yeah. When she got me on her own a couple of times, it was that nothing else she was talking about. Mum, have you ever decided, you know, I've asked, I've asked you this before, but... You, I didn't know she'd been asking questions, so I was unaware <laughs> of that. So they, Angela hadn't been making those comments to you then, Dad, no? No. No, it was to me. I can remember one particular one in the car going from London to back here to have a barbecue, and I sat the whole way, and she, all she talked about was, did you ever think... Edward, Mum, do you never think Edward could be gay? And I said, no, don't be silly. And when Angela did that, um, I know Angela's version of this, but what was your reaction to Angela when she was saying those things? I think something like, don't be so silly. Why, why would you think he's gay? But it doesn't matter if he is. I just said, but I was sure that he wasn't. What went through your mind, I suppose, Mum, first, you first of all, when I, when I said it to you, what was your initial thought process? Well, my initial thoughts were a mixture of emotions, actually. I remember saying to you, well, I'm glad, Edward, you've told us. Now we know. Um, 
And then I, I felt, um, why didn't you tell us years ago? Because obviously you've gone through this on your own where you could have had our support. And then I, I think the last thing was I, I thought, well, this is going to be a tougher road for you, that, you know, knowing this now, but you, you've got the family support and that's all that matters. Just out of interest, why, uh, and I think the response of thinking it was going to be a harder road for me is not an uncommon one for uh, sort of people who are older than me, but what, what was your thought process as to why it was going to be more difficult for me? Because at that time, there wasn't as much um, empathy um, with the situation um, and, and lots of people were getting hot and targeted and, and, and that's what concerned us. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought, well, you know, it's going to be it's going to be harder for him in, in the big world, if you like. Um, but thankfully, things have changed rapidly and, and it's a much, much better situation now. Dad, I remember what I think was your first verbal response. Do you remember what you said when I came out? I, I can't remember precisely, but what's going through my mind now is congratulations. Let's go and celebrate. And I think we went back to the hotel that night and we talked about nothing else and we were, were delighted that you, you know, you opened up to us. And Dad, what was your thought process when uh, I told you? As I said, it, but just let's go and celebrate. I was so pleased that you had uh, come out and that you had... Um, got your mind around what you wanted to be, where you wanted to be, what, etc. So I'm just supportive, that was all. And I, I know that we then did sort of go and celebrate. Um, yeah, we went and opened the bottle of champagne at a restaurant across and, the and road. And it was um, Fell, I think the, the name of the store was. And we had a couple of bottles of champagne <laughs> to toast. I remember it very, very clearly. And I was, we were absolutely thrilled that, you know... Um, that we knew what the situation was and not just Angela asking <laughs> questions. But when I found out you were, it was funny, it just seemed that it was just a natural, na- natural transition. I mean, it was nothing, you know, that we we would have given you a lot of support anyway. So um, I was just glad to be told officially. I always knew that that would be the reaction of my parents, but that doesn't make it any easier telling them. Uh, you know, they've known their child for a period of 30 years, they think they know everything about you and it's very difficult to suddenly have to tell someone like your parents that there has been a part of you that you have kept hidden from everybody else. Um, and the next thing my parents did is as if there were, it were possible to make them better candidates for you know amazing loving parents, they uh, ordered a bottle of champagne and said they wanted to start the beginning of my life. And um, that really was completely spot on because that really, in many ways, was when my life proper did begin because many of the aspects of life that people get used to had been, um, had been deprived of them. And they never have said anything negative at all about being gay. In fact, quite to the contrary, they've been remarkable advocates. I, I remember saying to them, look, if you don't want me to tell people from home or people from the church that I'm gay, then I don't need to tell them. You know, I live in London. I don't come back very much anymore. They don't have to know. And, of course, Mum and Dad would like, no, don't be ridiculous. And there have been occasions since then when things have been said, particularly in the context of the church or amongst their circle of friends, when people have made 
uh, ignorant, ill-informed comments about gay people. Uh, it would be very easy if my parents have said nothing, but I know that they have vocally challenged uh, both their friends and people within the church itself, uh, which I'm immensely proud of, and they're incredibly supportive. I then obviously had to go about telling my brother. Uh, again, deep down, I knew that it was going to be absolutely fine. But strange things go through your head. He's in the military, um, and he had kids, and you just never really know deep, deep down whether there might be a slight issue. Um, and I didn't really want to tell him. And in fact, I wanted my parents to tell him, but they said that I, I, I had to tell him myself. And so we engineered my sister and I going down for dinner uh, where we told my sister-in-law and my brother, and I announced it over dinner. And um, that they were completely nonplussed. Um, in fact, my brother was like, oh, is that, is that it? Is that the news? Okay, fair enough. Shall we go and see what the football score is? I mean, it was such a non-event. And, and of course, they were very supportive and loving and, and said all the right things. Um, again, as I knew deep down, they would. But it was, it was difficult. Here's my brother's recollection of the events of that evening some 20 years ago. Martin, what, what's your recollection of when I came out to you and Penny? So it was some years ago now, wasn't it? I think it was, um, I, I can't remember the exact date, but it was um, early 2000s, uh, 18 or 20 years ago. Uh, we were living down the south coast, and I recall you came, you asked to come down and speak to us about something, which wasn't normal or spontaneous. And those things are usually the bad news or something dramatic. So Penny and I talked about it and we quickly came to the conclusion that you were probably going to tell us you were gay. And we just, therefore, it was, it certainly didn't come as any surprise. And if, if my memory serves me right, uh, you were a bit nervous and you asked to speak to us and you, we came into the kitchen and you then told us and uh, and there was a football game on, if my memory serves me. And my response was not particularly compassionate. I think it was, yeah, uh, that's fine. I think we already knew that. Can we go and watch the football now? And in in many ways, that was my way of just trying to say at the time, this is not a surprise and it's not something that uh, is a drama. Um, can we go and watch the football? In hindsight, Perhaps I should have been a bit more compassionate and, and, um, and we could have talked about it. But as you and I know, you know, we're both not the most open people to talk about those sort of feelings. <laughs> um, but uh, it was all very matter of fact. And I think given that it happened um, just after 2000, obviously I'm in the Royal Navy, was then, still am. And it was about 2000 where the armed forces, the UK's armed forces, shifted their policy, where prior to that, um, it wasn't compatible to serve in the armed forces if you were um, gay. And that was a really odd, odd period for me and many of my colleagues who knew that there were 
gay people in the armed forces, but the fact that it wasn't compatible, many people were questioning. So that probably made it a little bit more complicated, I suspect, for you. I'd spent a lot of time away in those years prior to that, away from home, uh, therefore we weren't talking that regularly. And you probably, well, it's up to you to let me know, but I, I think you'd probably amplified that issue in telling me and, and and the fact that I was in the armed forces, you probably uh, weren't sure how I'd react. And that's the sadness, I think, looking back, that you, know, you felt that way. Um, uh, I was mightily relieved when the UK shifted its policy. It's, it's a shame it took some legal cases to do so. Um, now, I'm delighted that the UK's armed forces is a very inclusive place to serve now and it's remarkably different to that period um and i i'm i'm ashamed to say that you know as somebody who was responsible for men and women i knew some of them were conflicted by that and you know i, I saw people good people leave the royal navy because of their sexuality which is madness in today's terms but then the sadness is I knew it was mad then. And you know, I was only at the time a fairly junior officer. It wasn't a great deal I could do, but um, I think many of us should have been a bit more outspoken than we were. Um, so that was my memory. It's, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, your um, memory accords very large with mine. And what's interesting is that your response about, you know, fine, you know, let's go and watch the football or, you know, something on those lines. It's interesting how you kind of look back and think that that maybe was, wasn't particularly compassionate, although you were trying to normalise things. For me, that was kind of like the best possible response because, uh, I, I, you know, I remember you and Penny making it very plain that it didn't really matter. It was kind of fairly irrelevant. And then just sort of the evening then passed off as, as you know, normal. So a big event wasn't made of it. So, I, I was quite happy that it happened that way. Um, and I just remember, you know, both of you being sort of supportive. I mean, obviously, apart from the fact that I'd obviously teed up with you by coming down to visit you, especially that there was going to be some form of event or disclosure. I mean, had you and Penny sort of had those discussions before about, you know, my sexuality or was... Yeah, not, not in any great depth, I'll be honest with you. Um, we... Uh, obviously realised that um, we, we guessed that you were somewhat conflicted about your sexuality, that, that you were somebody who was in a family, that, a Catholic family, um, you were you know, a fairly private family, and you probably didn't want to um, upset anyone's feelings by um, talking about this. That's the sadness we felt, because we knew that you were probably... Um, either, either gay or bisexual, I suspect, is what we talked about. But only in the sense of it's a shame he can't be himself. We weren't, frankly, bothered one way or the other. We we just want um, our loved ones to be happy. And that, I think that was the nature of the discussion we had. Um, we certainly didn't talk about it at length. And then after you you told us yeah we just sort of went well that all makes sense now and I think there's still an enduring 
how sad that you know you, you've you've had to confront that in a way that was perhaps difficult. And I mean, your 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 position in the navy did complicate matters a bit because I mean, you know, it was a very different time back in two thousand. You know, and it, and it was only in two thousand the navy started allowing openly gay people to serve. And I, I I was just concerned because, you know, about what attitudes. I, I didn't know whether, for example, you subscribed to the the, the attitude of the navy had held before then that sexuality um, was incompatible with service, and so that did make it sort of in my mind, a challenge to tell you. And I was kind of, was a bit worried about telling you, if I'm honest. And I know that I, in fact, had wanted mum and dad to tell you, in fact, and they um, said that it had to be me. Um, I mean, I should say that you're, you're you know, you, you say you're in the Navy, but I should say you're actually now very senior in the Navy. I mean, you're um, Rear Admiral um, Martin Connell, uh, CBE. And... Um, I mean, what what is the position now, and so far as the Navy is concerned? Because I, I know that you've said it's a very different place to where it was in in two thousand. I mean, how different is it? I mean, I've been in the Navy for thirty three years, uh, and I've seen a remarkable change. Um, part of that reflects societal changes, but some of it, I think, is is more unique to the armed forces. I mean, ultimately, the armed forces attract certain parts of society, mostly younger men and women mostly it's been men we still haven't got the numbers of women um, who want to join the armed forces that i believe we should have and there are lots of reasons for that maybe there's an image of machismo Um, maybe it's about the um, war fighting maybe it's about long periods of separation Um, so i'm very keen as one of the navy senior leadership team to have the royal navy as a good place to work and by that I mean that we attract the best sort of talent that's out there that we are able to really embrace the diversity of our workforce the strengths and we leverage off those we're open to constructive challenge uh, I'd, I'd like there it to be a place where um, it doesn't matter frankly what your race religion creed sexuality ethnic background is it's what you can bring in terms of um your 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 qualities so um i know that my senior colleagues without exception are that way but at the time that that change was made and it wasn't too far apart in time from the the decision to allow women to serve on warships which was quite controversial at the time as well Nowadays, if I go on board a warship, um, it's odd if it's not mixed crude, i.e. men and women. Um, that, that's absolutely normalised. And, and similarly, uh, someone's sexuality is a personal thing. Um, and people don't bat an eyelid, frankly. You know, it, it's, it's just absolutely accepted. And I look at my children's generation, so my son's, what, 20, 22, um, his, his, his generation, they don't bat an eyelid either. And I suspect when you and I were growing up, it was more of a, an issue. Um, so I think it, the armed forces have changed and society's changed. In some ways, we were slow, uh, and that's a sadness, but I'm, I think we're, we're certainly on the right tra- trajectory nowadays.
And then you have to go through the process of telling friends, and I, I did that um, quite often again in drink. Um, I remember sitting down, holding a special lunch one day to tell my very good friends from home that I had this significant news for them. And I remember one of my friends beginning to cry, convinced that I was about to tell them that I was dying or I had cancer or something like that. And then seeing the absolute relief on her face when I told her that I was gay, something which all of them considered to be a complete irrelevance. Interestingly, everybody seems to think that um, I must have been leading a double life, that I'd been sort of leading a secret gay life throughout my 20s, and uh, I hadn't been. Uh, I had just spent all that time coming to terms with it. And friends say, well, I can't have been a good enough friend to you if you weren't able to tell me. And the bottom line is, I wasn't ready to tell them. So even if they'd asked me directly, I probably wouldn't have told them. It just took me uh, a long time to come to terms with it and accept it myself. In fact, I didn't embark on a gay life until I started telling people. And I look back now, um, laugh a little bit at the thought that I, I did panic at one stage. Well, here I am telling everybody that I'm gay. I mean, you know, I haven't done anything with another guy and I might not actually be physically attracted to a guy. This And this is something you can never take back. And that sounds ridiculous saying it now, but those sorts of thought processes went through my mind. But, um, you know, that's that was really, as my parents had said, the start of my um, new life. Um, I had to tell work people, um, that wasn't particularly difficult. Um, I do think that I kind of challenged the stereotypes that perhaps the clerks at my then chambers had about gay men. You know, they'd always assumed I was straight. I was this sort of football-going person that likes to go to the pub and have a beer. And they too had probably grown up in the 70s and 80s with a preconceived ideas of what a gay man is like. And I remember touchingly, not long after I came out to them, um, having one of them approach me because they thought that their own son uh, might be gay and wanted some advice, which I thought was a, a touching thing. The only reservations I had about work was, you know, I'd heard stories in the past of barristers who come out and they'd been pigeonholed then as being sort of the emotionally supportive type of barrister who goes to the needy client or the young client or the client with, you know, mental health problems because they were the caring type of individual that could do those sorts of cases. And I was very anxious that I didn't want to be pigeonholed in that way. But because, of course, by that stage, I'd been practicing as a barrister for several years. So I'd already forged a practice. Uh, and so my coming out didn't affect things. And in fact, although I came out to my colleagues, um, I'm not entirely sure necessarily that the solicitors used to instruct me uh, knew uh, about the fact that I was gay back then. It's had had some disadvantages of coming out so late. Um, if you think about it, most people, when they're growing up, sort of in their teenage years, particularly their late teenage years, embark upon having relationships uh, with people of the other sex. And relationships aren't easy. Um, you learn by having relationships, relationships not working, changing things the time you enter into the next relationship. 
And so that by the time you get to your late 20s, you know who you are um, and who the sort of person you want to be with. Coming out, of course, in your 30s um, without having that history relationship meant that it was difficult. Um, gay men my own age were at a very different stage in their life than where I was. Uh, and I think that's part of the reasoning behind why I tended to date younger men because they were at a similar stage in their uh, life to me. Uh, I think another disadvantage of coming out in your 30s is that the gay world is very much a youth-orientated world, very much youth-centric. Um, sort of the, the, the young gays are celebrated as being, you know, the best bit of being gay. And as you get older, you know, you're considered by some people in the gay community to be dead by the time you're 30. And here I was coming out in my 30s. So that made things um, a little bit difficult. Um, but I was um, lucky in that I was introduced to um, an LGBT football club called the London Titans. Uh, that was a lifeline to me uh, because I immediately had this huge circle of friends different ages different backgrounds all with the same thing in common that we were lgbt and that was very very empowering and that formed my social life for the best part of, the, of at least the next decade whilst i managed and played for the club um, and i still have very very good friends uh, from that football club. And that, that football club um, afforded me two privileges. One was I was fortunate enough to hear many people's coming out stories, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, and I think the, the seed was sown then for this idea of a podcast, or I think back at the time I thought about writing a book, uh, because it seemed to me that there were so many different ways in which people had come out. Um, it had been difficult for most, not everybody. Uh, and uh, I think I thought back then it would be good to have somewhere putting together these various stories. Uh, it also afforded me the privilege of getting involved in campaigning against homophobia in football, something which I again did for over a decade. Um, I'm an avid football fan um, and homophobia sadly is still a problem within football. And I spent a number of years trying to improve the plight for the LGBT community in football. And that was often difficult. Um, I remember having very difficult conversations with uh, the governing bodies of football who would stare me in the face and say there was no problem with homophobia. And I went on radio and television regularly to hold various people to account again to try and make football a better place. And so in some ways, although I hadn't come out to everybody, anybody perhaps Googled my name back then would have seen me speaking out on topics like that. And so um, they would have known very quickly that I was gay. Um, I am very much at peace with my sexuality now. I am uh, very happy. Uh, I used to think growing up that I'd have done anything to be straight. I don't feel that way. I feel very fortunate to be gay. Uh, if I had my life again now, I would choose to be gay again. 
Um, it's been a very, very happy life for me since I came to terms with it. And I would be happy if my children should ever have any um, tell me that they were um, lesbian, gay, bisexual or, or, or transgender. And although I don't have in my own children, attitudes have changed that now I'm able to foster children as well. And the one of the great things I've learned about fostering children is that um, sexuality for them is becoming increasingly a non-issue. It's so encouraging that kids have this capacity uh, to understand that you're in a same-sex relationship and not be phased by it. And I think back to how I'd have reacted if someone told me that when I was maybe, you know, in my early teenage years. And that gives real um, cause for hope uh, in the future. And the I asked, I've been asking all the guests on my podcast two questions. Uh, one is, what would you do differently if you were to have your time again, insofar as your coming out story is concerned? And I guess that, like many of the people I've interviewed, uh, my answer to that would be, well, I would have come out earlier. Um, I'd have come out perhaps at university. Um, although that would have been difficult. I mean, I remember that everybody knew when the LGBT society met at university and they were the subject of ridicule. And that was only back in, you know, 1990 to 1994. But I think I'd have tried to find a way to have come out earlier. And um, the other question I asked him is, well, what advice would you give to people? Well, I think the advice would be try and find someone that you can confide in. For me, it was my sister. And I, I knew that she would be accepting and I knew that she would be a supporter to me in the event that things became difficult after that. And I think it's important that, you know, you find someone that you can confide in. And if you don't have anyone, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to various organisations for help and advice because there's lots of help and advice out there to try and make things better. And I, I would just sort of say to people that, you know, life once you come out, really is so much better. Uh, there's nothing that makes you happier than being your true self. And I firmly believe in that. And of course, everybody's journey is different and the time for everybody for when they should come out is different. But life really does get much better once you are true and living your true life. So I guess the motivation this podcast really doesn't need to be spelt out. Now you've heard my story, uh, the fact that when I was coming out, I didn't know where to look for advice or assistance or to hear other people's stories. I guess life's a bit easier now with the internet. But back then, there wasn't much out there. And I thought it would be a nice idea to have a place where people can go to to listen, to hear other people's advice and words of wisdom, to realise that for some people, your coming out story perhaps wasn't as bad as you thought it was, or to give hope to other people who are contemplating coming out that it might actually be okay. 
And it's not just for people, I hope, in the UK. We're very privileged to live in a society which is very accepting these days of, of the LGBT community. We have equality in the law, but I'm also mindful that it's not like that for everybody around the world. And there are lots of people that still have to live in a life which their sexuality is concealed from others, not able to be their true selves. And I genuinely hope that this podcast is of some assistance to anyone. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please rate, review and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ComingOutThePod. The website's at comingoutthepod.com and you can contact us on email at comingoutthepod at icloud.com.